0: At Gates, we are passionate about the Word of God. We hope the message you are about to listen to empowers you today. God is so good, isn't He? Amen. He is so good. I am really blessed to be here. I always always feel so welcome and feel like I'm um, among family. We stuck together this long. I mean, I guess there's no getting out of it now. And um, but um, well, one gates of the city. How, how many of you love your pastors, Pastor Bert and Becky? Come on, can we just can we just give them a thanks and applause? And <clears throat> they are they are two really incredible human beings, and um, I. I think I might have mentioned this the last time I was here, but I, I, I teach a, a leadership class. I've taught it in a couple of different Bible schools, but there's a, I have these 10 leadership things that, I, that I've learned from different pastors over the year, and, um, and, and one of them that, that I teach, I got from Pastor Burt, and, and I share it at these, at these schools, and, and it without fail, it always seems like the one that I tell that he taught me is their favorite. It's, it's uh, he and I were on the phone one day and I was just <clears throat> talking to him, we were just talking about church and he called just to check on me and see how I was doing and encouraging me and, and, and he said this I don't even know if he would even remember but he just said something so simple to me he said Brandon let me just tell you something whatever you do, do it by faith if you're not doing it by faith it ain't right do it by faith and, and so I, I talk about the importance of leadership by faith and these principles. And what that did for us is there was a man in our church that, that we needed something, a piece of equipment for our church. And so I called him and I said, look, we don't have the finances, but we have faith. And I just got off the phone with Pastor Burt and he said, do it by faith, so let's go do it by faith. So we went out to where this piece of equipment was that we needed, laid our hands on it and called it into the kingdom of God. Two weeks later, a gentleman in our church called me and said, hey, I was thinking, we need this for the church, don't we? And I said, yeah, we need it, but we don't, go, we don't have the money. He's on our advisory board. I said, we don't have the money. He said, well, I, I'm just calling to tell you I bought one. I said, you did? He said, yeah. He said, I need you to come pick it up. I said, where are you? He named the exact store, the exact spot, the exact piece of equipment that we had laid our hands on, and he said, I already bought it. So I called the guy that was with me. I said, did you tell him? He said, I hadn't told anybody. You told me I couldn't tell him Because that's what I told him. I said, don't tell anybody. We're going to watch faith work. And somebody went to that same store, led by God, bought that exact thing that he and I had laid our hands on because we got a word that just simply said do it by faith. And so I'm grateful to you, Pastor Bert, for, for, your, for your input in my life. It means a lot to me, and you mean a lot to me. And um, I'm glad that I have someone that I can joke with about the Texas Longhorns and the Sooners, who still is my friend <laughs> afterwards. So I appreciate sure. Because people get a little touchy about that stuff. I don't know if you know that or not, but they do get touch, they get touchy about it. Mm-hmm. I, I I live with one of those. When it's when it's Texas OU weekend, I watch the game in the living room, she goes into the bedroom and then gets mad every time I clap. But she's with me tonight, and I'm really glad to have my wife, Jennifer, with me, and uh, my youngest daughter, Macy, is also with me. So glad Macy got to come. So, all right, <clears throat> does, does that time start now, or did it start when you, okay, all right. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, we got a clock, awesome, we got a clock, it's awesome, that helps me. Clocks are, clocks are good, you know, uh, they, they help keep us on time. Um, Pastor Roxanne, so privileged to see you tonight. It just it always always makes my day when I get it, when I get a chance to see my friend, and so uh, <laughs> thank you for that. And uh, you know, we're we're of the same family and friends that there's no getting out of it at this point. And it's just it's just awesome to uh, to have to have you as a friend. So thank you. All right, um, <clears throat> can we pray real quick? Now that we've done joking and done all that stuff, Let's, let's pray spend some time talking about Jesus. How about that? Did you come talk about him tonight? We already sang about him, so let's talk about him a little bit, right? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are simply who you are. And as your word says, because of who you are, you're worthy to be praised just because of who you are. And so, Lord, we've set our heart to you tonight. So we ask you, Lord, to speak to us. We Believe that you have something to say. So we say, as the prophet Samuel said, speak, Lord. We're listening. Reveal yourself to us. Transform us by your word and by your spirit tonight. Holy Spirit, lead and guide us to truth. Move in this place in the way that you do so well. Jesus, you are Lord of this time. And we give you all honor and all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, tell your neighbor how pretty they are, real quick. Tell you, say, you're good looking. Now, if there's if you don't know them, don't touch them. That's weird. Just just say, I'm glad you're here. <clears throat> I love this. I love this theme of the of the commanded blessing. And, and I'm I'm sitting there and Pastor Bert started talking and he kept talking and he kept talking. I leaned over to my wife. I said, He's about to preach my message. And, uh, and so, uh, but at the same time, um, I'm glad to know that I kind of, I think I've landed in the ballpark of the idea. So that's always good. You know, you, I've been to conferences before and they got this theme and you get this guy up there and he's talking about anything but that theme and you think, did you even get the notes? Did you get the message of what we're actually talking about here? He's just off, I mean, it's good stuff, but he's just in the wrong, you know, he's, he's playing the wrong game, um. So it's good to know that, that I'm at least on the field with you. But there's a passage of Scripture that I want to start with tonight, and I feel like, I, I really feel like that I, that I have uh, something to say, um, <clears throat> to declare prophetically to you. And, and I, don't, I don't always sense it that way, but I feel like there's something that I, to start this off, something I want to say to you. And... <clears throat> And Pastor Bird actually touched on it, which for me was only more confirmation. This is found in Luke chapter 4. Some of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. Jesus walks into the temple, and he takes the book, and he starts reading from the book of Isaiah, which is Isaiah chapter 61. You can go to Isaiah 61 and read this as well. But in Luke chapter 4, in verse 16, it says, So Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Just a side note, this is a freebie. You might want to take an extra offering for this pastor. But let me just say, it says that Jesus showed up in his hometown, and what did he do? He went to church. Why did he go to church? Because it was his custom. If it was a custom for Jesus, if Jesus felt like church was important enough for himself, how many of you would agree church is important for us? If it was Jesus' custom, it needs to be our custom. Yes. Amen. See that? that yeah, amen. You're welcome, Pastor. <laughs> now, obviously, I'm preaching to the choir. You're all here. But there may be people that watch this afterwards by video or listen to it audible, and they just need to know that these, those sinners need to get to church. <laughs> anyway, in verse 17, it says, And Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book... He found the place where it was written. Now, some say that there was, there was a routine of, being, of Scripture reading, and Jesus happened to walk in at the right place at the right time, and they handed him this spot. <clears throat> That may be the case. The way I read it is a little bit different. I mean, I I see it a little bit different. It says that he found the place where it was written. It didn't say that he found the place where the last guy left off. That means that he went to this place on purpose. He's trying to get a message, a specific message to us. That means that he opened the book and went, nope, not that, not that, not that. Oh, Oh, that's good. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Not that. And he went by all of these incredible passages of Scripture in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 54, 9. God says, this is like the waters of Noah to me, and just as I swore that I would not flood the earth again, so I swear I will not be angry with you, and I would not rebuke you. But he, he said, no, not that. Not that. I've got to get to this. Yeah. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. And here's what he starts reading. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say to them, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In verse 19, my Bible says that he was there to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and there's a period. The, the, the interesting thing about this is Isaiah 61 has a comma because it doesn't end with the preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It goes on and says and to declare the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus stopped halfway through and closed the book. This is what the rules of hermeneutics would say is Scripture self-interpretation. It means that this is when we find Old Testament Scripture in New Testament, and it's the Bible interpreting itself, and if I could say it a little bit further, it's the Holy Spirit interpreting the Bible for us, helping us to understand what we need to understand about a passage of Scripture. Um in the in the book of James there's a very interesting reference to Job. And and I would just say to you, Job is one of those have you ever read Job? Job's one of those really peculiar books, right? I mean it's just like man this is... I just kind of scratch your head about it, going, wow, that's a lot. Um, let me give you a great verse of Scripture from Job, though. Job 22, verse 28 says this, If you declare a thing, it is established and light shines on your way. So what that means is if you'll just dare say some things out of your mouth, those words are going to go out into your future, and they're going to build an established place for you, and then light is going to start shining on your way to take you to the thing that you declared. That's, that's a great, great verse of Scripture. But at the same time, there's a lot in Job that's just like, whew, But the book of James says, this is scripture self-interpretation for us, James says that God had an intended end with Job. And his intended end was to show that he was compassionate and full of mercy. So I just say to you, if you read Job and you don't land at compassionate and full of mercy, you've read it wrong. Because the New Testament says how it's supposed to be interpreted. You're supposed to come out of Job believing that God is compassionate and full of mercy. Amen. Amen. This is one of those scripture self-interpretations. It's helping us to understand a time frame and a timeline. And so when Jesus said he ends with to preach the to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and then he stops and he says in verse 21, today the Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what that means for you and me is that only the first half of the verse has been fulfilled from Isaiah 61. I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm so glad that Jesus came and fulfilled the acceptable year of the Lord and he did not come to fulfill the day of vengeance of our God. So we can't go, what this means is we can't go back to Isaiah 61 and add the day of vengeance back in. We can't do that because Jesus left it out, we leave it out. Amen. But it's interesting that he says that there's these specific things that he's here to do. He's here to preach the gospel to the poor. He's here to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim Liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. These are all really amazing things, aren't they? I mean, they're just amazing things. It's interesting to me that liberty is in here twice, which just for me, just makes me believe that God is really intent on me being free. He's really intent on you being free, so much so that when Jesus says, I'm here and here's why I'm here, twice he has to say, it's for your liberty. But it's interesting that he says, if you had a Bible help book, you would find that that it says to to proclaim liberty to the captives. There there are people, and maybe this is you, but there's a certain group of people that when liberty is proclaimed, when the message of the freedom of God is proclaimed, they get it and they walk out of that bondage. You proclaim the liberty, they got it. But then he says, and I'm also here to set at liberty those who are oppressed. A Greek Bible help book, the New Testament being written in Greek, the Greek Bible help book for dictionary tells us for the word oppressed, it means to be broken and shattered in pieces. So what Jesus says is for some, I'm here to proclaim a message of freedom and they're going to walk free. But then there are some that, even though I proclaim it, they don't have it within them to get to that place. So I'm also here to pick up all those broken pieces and to pick them up and to set them at a place of freedom. So I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter how broken you are, doesn't matter how lost you are, doesn't matter how frustrated you are, doesn't matter how disappointed you are. You are not too broken for Jesus to get you to a place of freedom. I don't know if you read it this way, but I'm like, man, Jesus, you're doing all the heavy lifting. It says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the, this, comes, again, comes out of the Old Testament, Isaiah 61. And if you had a Hebrew help book, what you would find is, is the acceptable year of the Lord can also be defined as the year of God's favor or the year of God's grace. It is defined this way, that it is the most blessed time, where the free favor of God profusely abounds. This is what Jesus said is now established. This is now fulfilled. So what that means for you and me is this, it doesn't matter What they say about the economy. It doesn't matter what they say about our future health conditions. It doesn't matter to the believer because we have an established, fulfilled proclamation by the anointing of Jesus Christ that says that you and I are living in the most blessed time where the free favor of God is profusely abounding to us. Doesn't matter what everybody else is saying we got a much greater word. We're in the most blessed time. We're in the most blessed time. Stop letting your life be dictated by less than that. You're living in the most blessed time. I had a guy in my church last week. He and I were talking on the phone. And he said... uh, he said, Pastor, he, said, I, he and his parents had passed away, and he had inherited this house. And it was run down. It was kind of a ratty old house. He just needed to get rid of it. But being that it was in the Austin city limits, it was worth a lot of money. But he still just needed to get rid of it. And he said, i got these friends. they had got these run down houses. They fixed them up, but now the market seems to be turning. So they're going to hold on to them, thinking that the market's going to come around. And he said, I just sat at my house thinking, Lord, what am I supposed to do? He said, but then I just had the thought, hey, God's on my side. I need to get rid of this house. This house has been a headache. I need to get rid of it. So he said, I put it on the market. In three days, it sold for more than I was asking for. it. Cash offer on the table. House is gone. Because he lives as a believer in a different time than everybody else. I'm not saying be foolish, but I am saying live in faith to this proclamation. You are living in the most blessed time. Where the free favor of God. This is not about you trying to do enough good things to earn it. (laughs) You're in the most blessed time where the free favor of God is profusely abounding to you. That's the time that you live in. But I want to say this to you. Jesus says that this is fulfilled because of his anointing. I'm anointed to do this and to fulfill this. So it's the anointing of God that actually empowers us to live and to fulfill in our life this most blessed time. There is a voice in ch- church life, and I hear it from time to time, and it seems to kind of have cycled back around, and, and it's... And I, hear me out before you get mad at me. Let me, let me explain a lot here. But there's a voice... That that says that says well you know the word the, the the name Christian has kind of a bad connotation in other parts of the world because of you know the abuses of some groups and 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 people just don't understand Christians so so we're Christ followers okay but I have a problem with it I have a big problem with it I don't have a problem with following Christ because I think we're all on that journey. But the word Christ was not Jesus' last name. The word Christ means Jesus, the anointed one. The word Christian means those who look like and act like and live like and actually do have the same anointing. Because if we just think that well, Jesus is just way up there and we're just doing our best, tack along behind him. Just, just just, following Jesus, just doing my best. Hey, Jesus, slow down. And we think that all that anointing and all that power is there and none here. Then we won't live in the most blessed time because we, the most blessed time is always eluding us because it's attached to Him way up ahead of us. And I'm here to encourage you tonight. Listen, you are living in the most blessed time. Why don't you start acting like Jesus? I'm proud to tell you I'm a Christian. Listen, it ain't up to me. It ain't up to me to make sure everybody understands what Christian means. Because Christian's not a title. Christian's a function. We live it. Amen. Christian was not the. It's not the label of our religion. It is the life that we live. The anointed power-filled life. Amen. In the book of 1 John, it says the anointing that you have abides on the inside of you. This is not something we're waiting for God to put on us and then take off and put on and take off. No, it's something that now has come to take residence on the inside of you so that everywhere you go, everywhere that I go, when we go, we have the same testimony of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus and said, Are you really the one? And Jesus said, You go back and you tell John these things. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the dead live everywhere you and I go with that like anointing. There ought to be the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, and the dead coming back to life. And we ought to be preaching the good news to the poor and proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. It's what he's called us to. It's who you and I are. Now, the challenge for us is, well, I had this friend. I'll say it like this. I had this friend that needed a kidney transplant real bad. And he finally got the opportunity. Kidney came, and he went to go get his kidney put in. And they told him, they said, we're actually going to have to wait two more days because your body is not healthy enough to receive this kidney. And we need to run some antibodies, antibiotics, and we need to, we need to, get, we need to get your body healthy to receive this. And there are times where, and this is why we need to keep coming to church and keep coming to church and keep coming to church because there's a message that is told and sometimes we're actually not healthy enough on the inside to receive that life-giving word and so we have to keep coming back and keep coming back and get those antibiotics of the Spirit working in us so that when the word comes again, we go, oh yeah, that's it. That's my word. And we receive it and then it produces life. Because you've all experienced it. Listen, if you've been in church any time, you know. You've heard the story of David and Goliath a bunch of times. But there's something about this one time you heard it, and it's like, wow, well, I never even thought about it like that. But you actually heard it that way before, but there was something in you that wasn't ready to hear it that way. But then something happened, and there was a transformation and a change on the inside of you, and then, man, you got it. And so I just say, keep turning up, keep turning up, keep turning up. The Apostle Paul told the Philippian church, don't get tired of my repetition because my repetition is for your safety. You just need to hear it over and over and over and over and over. And I believe that, that in this blessed life, this, this commanded blessing life, there's been a commanded blessing on us, and as Pastor Burt said, now we go and we command that blessing. Because he said the earth is sick, and the earth is, is in dysfunction because it needs the people of God to behave like the people of God. If I could say it like this, we need the people of God to behave like Jesus. The Bible says the earth is groaning for the manifestations of the sons of God. That includes the daughters. The earth is groaning. The earth is wanting you to be who God made you to be. Amen. Amen. Listen, how many of you agree the last couple of years has been a little challenging for all of us? And we've had some stuff happen, right? But I, I just believe, if, if you can hear this, and listen, if, if you don't understand what I'm saying, because you're just new to church, you're just going to have to ask your pastor. I actually don't have time to explain it. But I'm just, I'm just of the faith right now. There's a declaration that I feel on the inside of me that says that the hair of the Samson church is growing again. And we're getting stronger. And we're going to see more happen in the latter part of our lives than we've ever seen in the previous part of our lives. We're getting stronger. Amen. Amen. And this this blessed life, I believe, leads us to a place that we could call the right place at the right time. God is a right place, right time God. We, we, We don't do very good with timing. Is it just me? It's like, Lord... I declare this, and I know it's out in my future, but I need that future to be tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right now. Your word says now faith is. Yeah, it says now faith is the substance of things hoped for. <laughs> Those things are still out there. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you got to do it right now so that, it, so that you will walk into it and it will show up in your future but sometimes we want it microwave fast. We want to say it right now and have it right now. And the truth is you actually do have it right now when you declare it. You have it, but it takes some, some time for you to get to that place. And, and, and of all the giants, all the proverbial giants that we face in our lifetime, I think the time giant's the toughest one for us. Because the Bible even says that when, when things get delayed, our heart gets sick. We have this hope, and it just doesn't show up, and doesn't show up, and doesn't show up, and doesn't show up. But listen, we, we, we battle that timing thing, but I, wanna, I just want to encourage you. You're in the most blessed time, and in that time, God's, God's leading. He's ordering your steps. He's taking you to the place, and you're going to land at the right place at the right time. There was a story of a woman in the Old Testament called the Shunammite woman. She was a Gentile woman living in a Jewish land. And there was a prophet that went walking by one day, and she said, "I want to build you a house. You come by here all the time, so I'm going to build you a house." She built him a house, built him a room on her house, and so he could come and he could rest. Well, then he said, "What do you need?" She said, "I don't need anything." And then he said, "This time next year, you're going to have a son." So she had a son. Sorry, I'm talking fast. Clock's counting down. Okay, she had a son. She had a son. Everybody okay? Okay. She had a son. She had a son. And then and then the prophet was like, "Okay, great. Yeah, good. You had a son." Well, then the son was out in the field working with the dad, had a heat stroke, died okay? She takes it to the prophet's room, lays it in the prophet's room. She says, tell your husband, I'm going to go see the prophet. So she goes to the prophet, and the prophet says, how is everything? She said, it is well. He said, how's your, how's your husband? It is well. How's your son? It is well. Her son's laying dead, and she said, it's well. And then he said, okay, well, tell me what's going on. So she told him, and he gave his staff to his servant Gehazi and said, now I need you to go just lay your staff on him, and, and nothing happened. And and." He actually told her, go with him. And she said, I'm not going. I'm going with you. I'm not going with him. I'm going with you. And so he said, okay, well, I'll go. And so then he comes, and then he gets there, and the, long story short, he raises the son from the dead, okay? Fantastic story. He has seen victory after victory after victory. Well, the king loves this prophet, and he says, to, calls his servant, and he says, Gehazi, come to the palace and talk to me. And is standing there, and he's recounting. He said, "Tell me what the prophet's been up to." So Gehazi's recounting all the stuff that the prophet's been up to—amazing things, killing the prophets, you know, and all kinds of stuff, birds feeding. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And. But here's what happened. In that time frame, in the time frame, from the time that son was brought back to dead, brought, brought back from the dead, there was a famine that came in the land, and the prophet told the Shunammite woman, said, I need you to leave and go while the famine's here and then come back. Well, she did. Seven years passed. She goes, and she comes back. And when she came back, there were people living in her house and people had taken over her land. They were farming her land and moved into her house. Now, again, I'll say, she was a Gentile woman in a Jewish land. Jewish people had moved into her house. Jewish people had taken her land, and there's a Jewish king sitting on the throne. What are the odds she's getting it back? Probably pretty thin. But she says, I'm going to go see the king. So she goes to go see the king. She's going to talk to the king and tell the king, give me my land back. Gehazi is standing in front of the king, and he ends with this final story. He said, there's this woman. Let me tell you what the prophet did for this woman. She built him a room. He stopped there and rested. He prophesied a son. She had a son. Then her son was out in the field. and got sick and died. The king's like, oh, what happened? He said, the prophet came. She came and got the prophet, and the prophet came and raised her son from the dead. He's like, no way. He's like, yes, yes, he did it. And at that time, she walks in. And Gehazi says, oh, my gosh, king, there she is right there. That's her. That's the lady. The king says, "Come, come, 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 come here, come here, come here!" And he gets the woman from him. And he goes, "Okay, tell me what he did." So she recounts the whole story that Gehazi had just told. Recounted it all. He said, "That's so fascinating." And she said, "Yeah, but that's not all." She said, "The prophet told me to leave, and I left, and come back seven years later. And there's people living in my house. There's people farming my land." And he said, no, 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 that's not going to work. That's not going to work. He gets the captain of his guard. He says, now I need you to go with her, go back to her house, throw those people out of her house, throw them off her land, and all the prophets that they've got off her land for the past seven years, they've got to give to her. Was it just mere coincidence that she walked into the palace when Gehazi was telling her story? No. No, because God is a right place, right time. If you can receive this, I just want to say it this way. There's somebody telling your story right now. And you're going to walk in at the right place, at the right time. And that thing that you've been believing God for is going to manifest because somebody's already speaking on your behalf to set that moment up for you. Amen? Amen. Our part in all of this, because we do have a part to play, We have a part, and Pastor Burt touched on it, and as soon as he touched on it, that's when I told my wife I think he's about to preach my message. (laughs) Our part is to participate with the principles of the kingdom of God, because God has made all kinds of declarations. He's made all kinds of promises, but those promises do not become reality in our life until we participate in faith. Declare them over our life to receive the promise by faith, right? We've got to participate. Now, there's a part of us that I will call our RTC factor. And RTC means resistance to change. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know this yet about Christianity, there's change coming. To you. If you've been a Christian, how many of you are glad you're not who you used to be? Yeah. Change came, right? Change came. But the, the nature of Christianity is this it keeps coming. The Bible says that we, in the book of Corinthians, it says we are being transformed from glory to glory. That means that right now there's already a next you on the inside of you. Our challenge and I'm just I'll I, maybe if I just talk about me this 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 nobody get offended at me and it'll help everybody. My challenge is I kind of like some of the old versions of me. And there are some people that like really old versions of themselves. They like it so much that they've allowed that old version to dictate who they are today. And they've gotten real loyal to the old versions of themselves. But we have to become massive fans of the next us. That new you that's there being conformed to the next glory. Listen, you're, you're not going to stay who you are. And, and in the day of church, as long as I've been in church, I've heard, well, you know, in my day we used to do this, and it's the good old, the good old days of church, you know. And I just look back on it, and for a minute I'll go, oh, yeah, wait, that wasn't that good. <laughs> and I'm telling you, if you'll take a hard look at the good old days, they're not that good. They're not that good because there is a new new that's this way. It's it's found in the next new you that's going to come forth, in that next stage of glory. You're going from glory to glory. Now, sometimes we can't see it because of a couple of things. Sometimes it's because of what we've always been told. Sometimes it's because of what we've always thought. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Now, think, just think about it this way as, as, as we, we challenge the clock. <laughs> think about it this way. Psalm 133 says, How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the oil poured over Aaron. It's like the oil on his beard. And it's like the dew of Hermon. And it says, For there the Lord commanded the blessing... Life forevermore. Okay? Now, I know in the context it's saying that when we get together in unity, there's, there's a real blessing in that. And at the same time, I believe there's an axiomatic truth that's, that's also in play here, and it is anytime you're in unity, there's a blessing there. So what I would say to you about like this is you've got to be in unity in you. You've got to get in unity about God's Word internally. You, 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 can't, you can't come to church and just go, yeah, rah, rah, yes, God, yes, God's going to, He's done, yes, I am, I'm more than a conqueror, yes, I'm here to prosper, yes, I'm, I have no weapon formed against me, I'm, I'm the head and not the tail, and then you go out, and on Monday morning people are like, man, man, the, did you see the stock market? Oh, I know that the recession, you know, it's just, just wait a second, that, that's disunity, that's, that's not unity. That's not unity within you. And the book of James says that a, that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. How, how's there supposed to be blessing in the, in, within the context of instability? Even if it was there, you can't see it because there's so much instability. So you've got to get in unity within yourself to God's Word, spirit, soul, and body you got to get your mind, your will, and your emotions lined up and in agreement with what God's Word says. That means that when you stand in faith and you believe something, but then that feeling, that emotion that's attached to what someone else said you can and cannot do shows up, well, you have a choice at that moment. You either get this thing in line with what you believe or you become divided internally. Um, I, I read a story about a scientist by the name of Robin Warren. It was June 11, 1979. He's in Perth, Australia. He's a scientist looking through a telescope, and a telescope, a microscope, at a stomach sample, a sample of a human stomach. And he sees something, and so he starts showing it to the people around him. He says, do you see this? And they, they couldn't see it. He magnified it a hundred times, and they still couldn't see it. He magnified it a thousand times, and only a few people could see it. And what he was showing them was he said, I believe I see bacteria. Now, here's why that's a big deal in 1979. In 1979, science had already concluded that bacteria could not live in the human stomach because the human stomach is acidic, therefore it's sterile. Nothing can live in the human stomach. This is 1979. Nothing. But Robin Warren is looking at a sample that he sees live bacteria, and he's trying to show people, and they can't see it. They said, you must have got a contaminated sample. So he got another sample, puts it in the microscope. He sees it again. He said, I'm telling you guys, there's something here. Well, the organization he worked for said, we're not going to fund that because there's something bad wrong because science has already concluded. Science already knows. We've known for a long time. The stomach is acidic, therefore it's sterile. Nothing can live in it. Well, he started putting his own money in it and, and doing his research after hours. And in 1984, he met a doctor by the name of Dr. Marshall who was a gastroenterologist. And Dr. Marshall was intrigued by the research that Dr. Warren had done and he said, let's, let's figure this out because Dr. Marshall was trying to find out what was the leading cause of stomach ulcers. And they put together this article, submitted it to a medical journal, and said, this is what our findings is. Well, that, the editor of that journal sent it out to the peers uh, of that field, and they said, you can't print that. That's inaccurate. These guys, there's a flaw. There's a major flaw in their calculations because science has already concluded. Science has already determined that the stomach is acidic, therefore it's sterile. Nothing can live in it. Well, the editor of the medical journal printed it anyway, but with a disclaimer. He said, if this isn't true, we haven't gained anything, we haven't lost anything. But if it's true, we are on the verge of a medical breakthrough. Well, it turns out it was true. What they discovered was the H. pylori bacteria that is now what they understand to be the leading cause of stomach ulcers in humans. And now they found lots of other bacteria that live in the human stomach. Now, what's fascinating to me about it is not that he discovered it, But at the exact same time, in the United States, there were two scientists looking at stomach samples filled with H. pylori bacteria, and they couldn't see it. One of the scientists said, the greatest mistake of my scientific career is that I didn't see it. 1969, they found a medical journal from Harvard. A guy saw it, thought he had a contaminated sample, and threw it out. 1920, another doctor, they found a medical journal where he found it. Called it Sporellum because he didn't know what else to call it, but disregarded it because he didn't understand. All the way back to 1879, they have now found medical documentation where scientists had been seeing it. A hundred years prior to Robin Warren seeing it, for a hundred years they had been seeing it. But they kept denying what they saw because of what they had been told. And I just want to challenge you: when you open this book, and God says, you are accepted. You're a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. You're the head and not the tail. Don't allow what you have been told to cause you to not see what's right in front of you. There's a new you that is found here in this word. If you'll just be courageous enough to see something that you've never seen before. If you'll be courageous enough to see what others have not seen in you and begin to declare it. This blessed life is really an incredible blessed life. I'll finish with one more thought because sometimes in our, in our life of Christianity, our Christianity can oftentimes be found or defined in our doing rather than our being. And we have to be really careful about that. I'm not saying that we don't do Christian things. I'm saying our doing doesn't make us who we are. Our being makes us who we are. And our doing is the byproduct of who we have become. You know, oftentimes, Acts chapter 1, Jesus says that he was going to give the Holy Spirit and he would make, give you power. And it says, and then you would be witnesses to me in the Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. A lot of people read that and say, oh, the Holy Spirit's going to come on me so that I can do witnessing. But that's not what he said. He said the Holy Spirit's coming on you so you can be. He didn't say he's coming on you so you can do. He said he's coming on you so that you can be because it's from our being comes our doing, right? We don't do righteous things to be righteous. We do righteous things now because we are righteous. We've been made righteous. It's who we be. Yeah, right. Now, with that being said, this is going to sound like I'm about to say just the opposite. There is a doing. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that you were His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So there are things that we are to do. But there is something that we can do that actually looks like we're doing nothing. There is a photograph that hangs in the Bavarian National Museum in Munich, Germany, dated 1839. It's called Paris Boulevard. Paris Boulevard, it's a really fascinating photo. It's actually not even called a photo, it's called a daguerreotype because it's an early photograph, what we would call a photograph, was called a daguerreotype named after the guy who invented it, Louis Daguerre. And Louis Daguerre is standing atop a building with his daguerreotype machine looking down on Paris Boulevard, 1839, and he takes a picture And it's fascinating, this picture, because you can see so many details. It's amazing, as old as it is, that you can actually see details. You can see the the shadows. You can see the make-out of the trees and the leaves. You can see pleats and curtains in the windows. You can see the bricks outlined on the building. Now, you have to understand, it's an old picture, so there's a lot that's hard to see, but it's amazing the detail that actually is there for a picture this old. And I have the picture for you. They have it for you. This is the picture. Okay. <clears throat> now, what you what you might notice is by the shadows of the trees, this looks like it's the middle of the day. This is Paris Boulevard, the middle of the day. Where is everybody? There's nobody in this picture except this guy right here. Do you see him? He's standing on a street corner with his foot up on a boot box having his shoes shined. Now, the reason why this picture is important to the history of photography is because this photo goes down in history as the first human ever photographed. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody knows his name. But he is in the history books as the first human ever photographed. Now, the truth is, this street is filled with people. It's filled with horses and carriages and dogs and children. They're all running around. They're all moving. They're all active. It's the middle of the day. But the shutter speed on the early cameras was so slow that the only way that a camera could capture an image Is if it was standing still. And here's what I want to submit to you. Sometimes the best thing you can do is stand still. And we don't like that in our day and age because we're so busy. we got this going on, got this going on, got this going on, got this going on, got this got to do this, 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 this. We've got to do this for God. Got to get, we, we think we're working for God, and we forget that we're working with Him. And the Scriptures say, be still and know that I'm God. There's another verse of Scripture that says, stand still and see the salvation of God. You see, you may feel like you're doing nothing and you're wasting time, but there's nothing to do. You have no opportunity. You have no step to take. You're just in this place, and it feels like life is stagnant, and it's not moving, and you're stuck. And in that place is when we start to get in disharmony with ourselves, and now we start to question things, and we start to question the Word of God, and I tithe, but I haven't seen this. There's no movement on that side of things. I believe God. I declared my healing, but I haven't seen it yet, and we get, we get discouraged in this stillness, but God is saying, just keep standing still, because while you think you're doing nothing, you might actually be making history. And You can get lost... In that stillness, you get discouraged. And I want to say to you, maintain your unity, whether you're moving 100 miles an hour or you're standing still. It is, your movement is no indication of God's working. I think of a marching band. I, I, I didn't go to a big enough school to have a marching band, but my kids are all been in marching band and if you have a long row of musicians and this line needs to make a turn well you've got this guy here on the pivot playing his trumpet he's not going anywhere but then you have this guy that is running as fast as he can i don't even know how they keep blowing in the instrument while they're running out of breath <laughs> To me, in Christianity, sometimes you're this guy, and sometimes you're this guy. And I would just say to you if you're this person right now, enjoy it because you're about to become that person. Yeah. It's the way Christianity works because when the movement happens and God shifts and He moves, and those things and then things are lined up because somebody's been telling your story, and now it's time to step into the right place at the right time. So that you can step in as the blessed one commanding blessing into the new environment that you're stepping into as the new you, the new version of you. Isn't sometimes it's a fast pace. Enjoy the rest. Get ready for the fast. Can you receive that? Yes. This is the acceptable year. Let's live like it is. Shall we? Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it,